Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I'm your host today, Nick Sigelski, and I am joined with a more frequent contributor here at 30 Minutes to President's Club, Jen Allen Knuth. And we've got an amazing episode today with Brian. He's an AE over at Gong. Jen, why should people listen? Okay, so there is plenty of advice out there on how we sellers run a great first call. But how the heck do we keep momentum going on calls two, three, four, five, and so on? So Brian from Gong is going to break down exactly how he keeps that momentum going. Everything from how does he wrap up his first call to what does he do in between calls, all the way down to what happens when we encounter that dreaded stakeholder who's super skeptical of our offer. This is a really great episode. I'm so excited to be part of this. All right. And a three, a two, a one. I'm excited too. (laughs) Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Brian, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Appreciate you having me. Number one is how to craft personalized emails fast and at scale with what I created is the ops framework. It's four steps to create every email where you lead first with an observation. Second, you share a problem that resonates with that persona. Third, you insert a PS at the end of the email to make it scream human and that it's personalized. 
and four, you leave off with a simple CTA, something like ever heard of us before or interested. I love it. What's tip number two? Tip number two is really understanding that discovery is not just a stage in the sales process, but it's something that we need to continue throughout every conversation. And in particular, the demo, you have a really great opportunity to go layers deeper from what you learned and potentially either the first call or just the beginning of that exact same call. So instead of asking questions like, hey, I'll pause there, Nick, any questions? Reframing that to, hey, what has stood out the most so far? Or asking something like, hey, who else would get value from these insights you see right now? I have four different questions that I have memorized that allow me to go layers deeper throughout the demo and can really be used at any point in the sales process versus some of those more generic questions that'll just simply get the answer. Nope, all good. Beautiful. Round us out, Brian. What's number three? Yeah, number three on that same vein is really incorporating discovery is not just that first call, but continuing to build on what you learned from call one into the second call, into the third call and into the fourth call. How I built out a really scalable and repeatable way to do that is after every first call, pretending that this is the second conversation today, what I'm gonna lead with is one slide called what we've heard or what we've learned. And I'm gonna start to bold out at the top, hey, this is your strategic priority. This is where you're at today in terms of your current state. This is where you're trying to get to in terms of your ideal state. And then any other details that they've shared with me around the ROI, the potential from a project or initiative like this. It also helps articulate while you create that and while you build that, what gaps you have so far so that you can use that slide as a launching point to go even deeper and start to learn more into discovery after sharing that. Beautiful. By the way, great job, Brian. Really good stuff. All right. So Brian, we were talking about on the prep for this, you're doing some really, really intentional things after the first meeting to sell between meetings, to make sure that the new stakeholders you're meeting with are up to speed, to fill in your gaps in terms of, hey, you understand 70% of what you probably need to do to get the deal done, but you got to get that other 30%. Before we get into all of the stuff that happens in meetings 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, talk to me about meeting one. You're obviously not getting everything from the customer, but my guess is there are certain things or certain pieces of information that you're trying to pull out on that first call with a buyer. Maybe it's problems they're looking to solve, people who need to be involved, buying process, timeline, et cetera. But talk to me about first call, what are your goals and what are you trying to pull out from the customer? Yeah, number one thing I want to get from that first call is latching on to their top strategic priority that hopefully I can anchor on throughout the entire sales process. How I'm going to actually uncover that is by showing up with a point of view on a call. If I'm with a chief revenue officer, as an example, I'm going to come having done some research already, and I'm going to say something along the lines of, hey, Nick, I saw that the team was rolling out MedPick, which is a you know, really big initiative to roll out a new sales methodology. Is that the number one initiative you're driving towards here in September? Or does anything trump that as an even larger priority today? What that does is it'll build credibility that you did your research, you did your homework. And there's two really great outcomes. They either say, one, 
yes, that's the number one strategic priority and you can dig deeper and deeper. Or they'll say, hey, that's really big, but actually this piece over here is an even larger priority today. Everything really will anchor around that top strategic priority. From there, I wanna make sure I can get any other like requirements out of a first call that would make sure it's a good fit. For my company, it has to be able to integrate with certain pieces of technology. So I'll make sure to incorporate some of those questions later in the conversation, just to make sure it's worth both of our time to continue the conversation. The other piece is just starting to get a sense as to how they're thinking about the problem in terms of like where they're at today and where they're hoping to get it to. And ideally starting to quantify like what that would be worth in terms of revenue potential. Why I think that's really important to get out of call number one is if your solution costs $100,000 and their number one priority that they're going after is only worth 50K in revenue potential, you're probably not the best solution for them. And that's totally okay. But conversely, right, if what they're targeting is worth, you know, seven figures plus and your solutions are on 50K, and you're able to help directly with some of their top strategic priorities, it can really set the foundation for the rest of the sales cycle. I love that. I love giving them something to react to versus just asking an open-ended question. So one of the things I think is sometimes problematic or difficult is when and how long you take to prep. So you talked about the ops framework for your email you're sending them. Is that when your prep is starting or, or how do you think about prep and how long does it typically take you? Yeah, I, I think I'd begin prep once I have that first meeting scheduled. I like to do really in-depth first call prep, but I don't want to necessarily do that before I've at least been able to set a meeting and have their commitment that they're willing to invest some time as well. Prep used to take me closer to 25 to 30 minutes, and I took pride in that in some fact of like how much research and effort I was putting in. I was able to cut that down to closer to 10 to 15 minutes, and how I was able to do that I built out a template for my pre-call prep of certain information that I knew was a non-negotiable that I needed to come into the first call with. As an example, a simple org chart of understanding stakeholders that need to be involved at a certain point in the process if the cycle were to continue. In my world, that could be enablement, that could be sales ops, that could be account executives or a chief revenue officer. Other pieces of pre-call prep, starting to understand their technology stack, if they're public or if they're private, if there's anything in the news recently. So I'll simply just put their company name into Google and hit that news icon. Why I have that template built out is there's a lot of different pieces that I want to go through and make sure I'm fully prepared to. And it kind of takes the mind work out of it of trying to remember all those 10 or 15 different details. And I can just instead go straight down in order and, and make sure I'm really thorough in what I need to understand to, to show up to that first call and, and crush it. Well, what's really great about this, Brian, is this prep that you're doing actually then informs what ends up happening in said meeting. You are now showing up with a point of view on, hey, this is the problem that I suspect you are dealing with. The one that you shared was, hey, you're rolling out Medic or MedPick, and my guess is there's some stuff associated with that. But then you're also figuring out who are the other stakeholders that I probably need to have a conversation with. And when you show up saying, here's the problem I think you have, and here's the people I think we need to involve, if you're right with both of those, holy cow, you've made things so much easier for the buyer to be like, 
yeah, that's right. Let me get you with the team. And now all of the hard work of multi-threading and navigating their org, like it's so easy because you basically did the job for them. So, so different than most salespeople who show up. They're like, so tell me about your problems. Tell me about your priorities. Tell me about your challenges, which is not terrible, but now the buyer's like, all right, well, let me catch you up to speed. And even if you're wrong with that POV, at least you're showing that you came with some level of prep and you're never going to be 100% wrong, 100% wrong. So let's talk about the end of that first call. You've done a good job. They were fairly aligned on the POV and the problem. You know the stakeholders that you need to connect with. I know that you know how you sell Gong probably better than someone knows how to buy Gong. (laughs) You were talking about being prescriptive in your selling process. Talk to me about the last five to eight minutes of that meeting and where you direct the buyer from there. The first five to eight minutes, I'll I'll call out that piece because you need the necessary time first and foremost to be able to close out any call efficiently. So just keep in mind, showing that additional feature is never worth it to crunch yourself on time. You can always set up that additional call. I aim to have at least 10 minutes left of every call, even if it's just a 30 minute conversation to make sure that I can learn their feedback and then prescribe a next step as well. What that process typically looks like, I typically structure the last call pretty similarly, no matter if it's early stage or later stage, but I'll ask them a pretty simple question. I'll just say something along the lines of, hey, Nick, I know what you shared earlier was that MedPick initiative is super, super critical to this year's revenue success. From what I shared with our solution today, curious from you on a scale of one through 10, how compelling were we and why? Why ask for the one through 10 is because it's going to start to quantify how compelling it actually is. What I've learned is that if somebody answers Uh, If you don't give them that quantification, type one through 10 and just ask them, hey, how compelling was today or did you like what you see? They could say, yeah, we loved it. This is really exciting. This is really interesting. But that's not really going to tell you, hey, are they ready to move forward in the next couple of months? Or is this something that they would maybe want to prioritize a year from now? The second follow-up question to that one through 10 is if they say an eight or a seven, I'm going to say, hey, what would have made it a 10? What's the gap? that can start to draw out potential objections where they say, hey, loved everything I saw, but I would just ultimately need to use it or see it firsthand or talk to another customer. Now you can start to build an action plan based off any objections they shared. I'll run a little bit discovery around whatever they share would have made it a 10, maybe ask another follow-up or two. And then once I feel like I'm ready to actually prescribe a next step, I'll ask first, hey, Nick, are you open to a recommendation? I will wait until they say yes. Sometimes they'll be taken aback that I'm actually asking them for permission first. And then I'll make a really strong recommendation and say, hey, Nick, given what you share that you would ultimately need to talk to another customer, I'd recommend I can set you up with a reference in the next couple of days. You can have that conversation by Friday of next week. And then maybe you and I regroup on Monday once you've had the chance to have that conversation. How does that sound to you? Being really prescriptive is buyer-centric versus just asking them something along the lines of, what do you think for next steps? They're not going to know, right? They haven't bought your solution before. They maybe have never bought technology before. So you really need to guide them from point A to point B. Okay, so... 
when you're making prescriptive recommendations, which by the way, I love because we all know buyers have a hard time buying. Do you find that there's like a common like three or five that end up almost always working or is it truly unique for every different sales call? What's your experience with that? I typically start for like prescribing a certain recommendation. It actually starts back with that pre-call prep. So before I even enter that first call or second call or call number 11, I have jotted down a couple of options in terms of like ideal next steps. It could be setting up a greater demo. It could be setting up a pilot. It could be having them speak to a customer. It could be looping in a sales engineer to walk through our Salesforce integration. There's probably like 10 different plays that I could be thinking of, but why I wanna do that strategy piece upfront is because I need to think about like where we're at in the cycle and where we're ultimately getting to. If I'm not at the right stakeholder yet, I need to kind of steer the conversation in a certain way to make sure that we're able to loop in the correct people that need to be involved with that cycle to ultimately give them the best chance uh, to get a solution like this in their hands. So what you're doing is really, really brilliant here. You have essentially 10-ish plays that are your commonly leaned on next steps that you know are the right thing for the buyer to do next that also align with what's right for how you need to manage your pipeline, Brian. And what you're doing at the end of these calls is you're saying, hey, scale of one to 10, how are we feeling? And if they give you a 10, my guess is you have one to three plays that you would then recommend next based on if they're like a nine or a 10. If they're a six or a seven, my guess is you have other plays that you lean on. So you essentially build out this flow chart of based upon where the buyer sits on that very specific pH scale that you've made, it then informs the next steps that you pull out of your toolkit. And it's really, really sharp. I'm, I'm probably going to need to steal that one. I want to talk about a common scenario where let's say you're meeting with a VP of sales for a particular segment. Great call. Things go well. And they say, Brian, like, you know, we're feeling pretty good about this. I appreciate your recommendation. You know, the next thing that we really need to do is I want you to show a, a big demo to a couple other of my VPs who handle other segments, right? They're pulling in other stakeholders, which is good. But there's also room for risk where you might have people who have no idea why they're in that meeting. They're not oriented around the problem. And they say, let's do this in two weeks. And they give you times and you get this thing booked. Talk to me about what happens between the meeting ending and when that big team meeting happens. There's two keys, in my opinion. Number one is keeping your champion, or in this case, that decision maker, that VP of sales engaged and continuing to be a part of the conversation. To your point, I think one of the areas of risk is where they say, hey, go speak with X, Y, and Z, and I'll regroup after. You need to be prepared to push back and make sure that they're able to join that call and give their perspective on the value they've seen. Why that's so important is who does it mean more, right? Coming from you, the sales rep, or that internal DM shedding light on how much value they've seen so far. An example of how I would push back is saying something like, hey, Nick, given I know you shared XYZ was the number one priority that you need to nail in the next 60 days, and ultimately it's worth north of seven figures, could I ask for you to stay included on that call? Would love to have your perspective in addition to Jen's when it comes to how we can help X, Y, and Z. 
So that's the first piece, making sure you can keep your champions. And you know, if you have the decision maker already, continue to be engaged. The second piece is actually engaging those newer folks and making sure that their opinions feel valued, right? And feel heard and that they're not just like a check the box type of thing before you ultimately move forward. What I'll do is before an additional presentation like that later stage, I'll actually single thread each of the stakeholders on the upcoming call and pretending for a second that's Jen in this case, I'll send Jen a short note saying, hey Jen, so excited to speak with you next Thursday. I've heard only great things from Nick. Would love to hear prior to that meeting, is there anything you're keen on learning or interested to hear when it relates to you know, your specific role or your specific organization? Looking forward to hearing back. So I'll send that note ahead of time. I'll very frequently get a reply on that, probably north of 60, 70%, especially if you're able to add a little bit of personalization and flair specific to their role or some of their priorities you've heard. And then making sure to just continue to go deeper and deeper on that once you're on that call with not only the new stakeholder, but your existing champion as well. One of the things you were talking about in our prep call was how you're operationalizing working your deals in between scheduled meetings. Can you share what that sort of daily battle rhythm looks like for you? I start every single day the exact same way. Once I get online for work, that is, and I've done this for the last four years, I'll dedicate about 15 to 20 minutes and I'll go through my active pipeline and I'll go through my opportunities one by one, whether I'm an SDR or whether I'm an AE, this would work for account managers or CS as well, but I'll simply ask myself the question, hey, this opportunity with Acme Corp, is there anything I can do today, Thursday here in September to advance this deal in any way? I'm gonna think about it for a minute or two if there's additional case studies I could send. Maybe I'll reference back to my previous conversation and start to think, hey, what questions were they asking? Is there any additional value that I can provide before our next meeting the following week? So I'm gonna go through all of my active opportunities, all of my active deals, simply ask myself that question, and I'm gonna action on my to-do list and basically walk away from those 15 saying, hey, I'm gonna send these to a case study. I'm gonna send these to an integration video with their CRM that they're really curious to see. I'm not gonna to touch these six accounts because I've, I've done a lot recently, I've gotten a lot from them. And this other account, I'm gonna add them on LinkedIn today. Because anything you can do to earn mindshare with them for even just 15 or 30 seconds and get them to think about your company and Brian for a second in a positive light, that's a win. We need to keep in mind as sellers, while Acme Corp and that 100K deal might be my number one priority in life, or at least at, at my company, it's probably their 30th or 40th priority, if that. So anything to win mindshare for a minute or two in a positive light before your upcoming meeting is a big win. I love that. And I love the no ask. You know, it's just low effort. It's a reminder. It's being thoughtful. So let me ask you something that used to happen to me all the time. You do what you think is a great first meeting, and then they get kind of silent. At what point do you start to pull back? And how do you make that decision once you're post first call? It's challenging, right? I think 
just thinking about the selling environment over the past couple of years, most sellers feel like they don't have enough pipeline today or wish they had more coverage, which I think can ultimately make us want to hold on to opportunities and deals longer than we actually should. But you need to know at the same time when enough has been enough and you'd actually be better served closing out the opportunity or cutting bait and focusing on your existing pipeline of actively engaged or even building up that new pipeline. I don't think there's one silver bullet or one rule like, hey, this is when you cut bait, this is when you stop. If somebody starts to go dark or starts to ghost you per se, but I think it's more an accumulation of factors. As an example, if there's a couple of red flags that come to mind, I'd be more likely to. What those look like for me is if I'm not speaking with power meaning I'm only speaking like the manager level or the director level, and I know I likely need to get to the C-suite to win the deal. If I start to have somebody go dark and they're lower level, I haven't even won the real battle yet, which is getting to power and getting the right folks involved. So I'm, I'm probably going to cut bait pretty early. Uh, other signs could be just in terms of like their strategic priorities. If they're not that big of priorities, they're not that pressing, they don't have that much pain that you've uncovered, it just might not be a priority. You might not be a perfect fit. If there's anything from a tech perspective as well, where they don't integrate quite perfectly, or there's some more challenges from a, a technical perspective, uh, that might make me more likely to as well. So just a, an accumulation of factors. But I think going back to, to what I'd shared in terms of like how you start every single day in terms of strategizing your active pipeline, when you go through and you start to strategize and think about that account and you look back and you say, hey, I've sent three notes to them, but I'm not at power. They have some technical challenges as well. And I haven't heard from them in three weeks. It's probably time to turn a closed loss and move on to the next. And on that note, so one of the things that can be awkward, right, is like you have this great first call with someone. Do you message that back to them? Like, I hate calling it a breakup because nobody likes a breakup with a prospect. But like, how do you think about when you just silently go off and when you actually message back and if you do message back what do you say yeah i try to anchor back to value so if you are using any solution that captures your calls or your initial conversations review back and listen to what they shared with you if you feel like you had that really great first call or second call listen back and remind them what got them so excited on that call in the first place i'm then going to demonstrate specifically that in the email because it's going to start to build up some like, hey, I'm really putting in the work as a seller and I really want to help earn this partnership. So one of those examples might be like, hey, Jen, just had a chance to re-listen to our call from the middle of August. And I heard you say that this would be a game changer around X, Y, and Z. And I might actually quote them or link to a snippet of the call. I'll then add a little bit more value and say, hey, wanted to provide this article here on exactly how we do this or an example of how XYZ customer leveraged this and saw you know, a million dollars in revenue as a result. And then I'll go for my ask and say, given I know how big of a priority that was through end of year, would love to share a couple of ideas I had in terms of next steps or tease at something and offer up a couple of times. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the things that you're doing here is you're taking a very short snippet of the discovery call or whatever call you had with the customer and you are taking the words that they use and you're not saying, hey, as a reminder, here's the whole 30-minute call recording. Go listen to it at the minute 12 mark. You're actually sending the snippet 
I'm curious, are there any other like creative things that you're doing, like where you're leveraging the call recording during sales process? Yeah, great question. One thing I, I'm a big fan of is being able to sell between the meetings and keeping them engaged. So I know I mentioned those no ask value touches, but I love putting together like a digital sales room for them. And I'll actually tell the prospect like, hey, I'm going to continue to add to this throughout the sales cycle or the sales process. Make sure to bookmark it and come back to it frequently. So I'll use that digital sales room to add the demo from the first conversation, maybe a piece of collateral around a similar customer and the results they saw or our G2 reviews. And then two weeks from now, I'll add our pricing sheet once I've had the chance to review that. So I'm starting to build this hub that they can continue to come back to. It's also really easy for them to share and socialize something like that with other stakeholders. So I'll make sure to write in it. Like even if I've only spoken with Nick and Jen so far, I'll write, hey, Nick, Jen, and Acme Corp team, comma, and I'll write a short little personalized message in that digital sales room. One area that I've struggled in my sales process is new stakeholders get added to the conversation, especially when things start to go well. And I'll have all of this information in my head and all of these notes and all of these call recordings and a great digital sales room and like buckets and buckets of info about the problem, how our solution matches, all the tech integrations, et cetera. And then one of the most frustrating things is I meet with, I don't know, a director of sales operations and they have zero context for why they're even on that meeting, what's going on, who we are, what the problem we solve. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm starting back at square one. And I'm wondering, are you doing any, th any particular things to like brief that person? I know you talked about that pre-meeting email, but I'm wondering like, what fix might you prescribe to someone like me who's showing up to meetings and it's like, we're at square negative one. Two things. One, I would make sure to engage with them in some fashion before that meeting. So if you do have a digital sales room in that email, when you single thread them, you could include that and say, hey, we've also been building out this, our company plus your company name, digital sales room. Make sure to give it a check before our call. So it's going to start to get them familiarized. Hopefully they start to go down a rabbit hole and learn a little bit more. The second piece is once you're on that call, let your champion start to sell for you as well. So I'm going to tee up my champion in a conversation like that and say, hey, Jen, mind sharing with Nick all the value you've seen so far and why we're investing you know, 45 minutes today to learn if, if this can be a potential solution for XYZ company. So giving them the opportunity and the stage to do some of that selling for you and just leaning on, on your champions throughout the process. So what do you do? I, I want to play off Nick's situation. What do you do if you get that sales ops person? They're like, I don't even think we should be looking at this right now. I'll probably start to reverse them and start to ask them more questions about uncovering their world and their priorities. If they strictly told me something like, hey, this isn't a good idea. It's not a fit right now. I would just ask a short question back and say, hey, I appreciate you offering your perspective there. Curious why you don't feel like it's a good fit for the company right now. And then start to run discovery off of that. At a certain point though, what I'm gonna try to get to is saying, hey, putting our company aside, would love to learn your world for a second. When you think about like Jen's top two priorities or top three priorities now through end of October, what are you most focused on? 
start to uncover their world a bit and then see if your solution can ultimately tie back and make their life easier in any way. What I, I love about that is that you don't just run to objection handle, right? Like you let them feel heard, you let them feel understood. It's discovery, like you said in the beginning, it's discovery all throughout the process. It's an excellent example of it. Well, and then one of the other things that you get out of that is you can actually advise the customer of the risks related to an implementation where you might go back to the CRO and say, hey, I just want you to know, like I met with Jen, your head of sales ops, and Jen is going to be pretty heads down the next five weeks focused on implementing some other system. And there's definitely some stuff we can do to make sure that she doesn't get bogged down with the setup there, but like know that that's a risk upcoming. And what happens here is when you call out risks, folks are no longer afraid of this behind the shroud. What's going to happen when we buy gong? They have a very clear picture of, Hey, here's where things could go wrong. And folks are okay with taking on risk when they know exactly what that risk looks like. And that's what you're uncovering there, Brian. And I'm kicking myself because I wish I had talked about that earlier because we're going to have to do a part two at some point with you. This was really, really good, but sadly we're running out of time and we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. What's one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? One thing I've seen some sellers, new, some even veteran sellers, that they should avoid doing is discounting or offering up concessions too early in the sales process. Especially here at Gong, we sell to revenue leaders, we sell to sales leaders. Sometimes they're trying to negotiate payment terms on a first call before they've even decided if it's a fit or if it's the right solution for them. Ultimately, what you wanna do is hold on to that pricing integrity for as long as you can throughout the process until they're at the point where they're actually ready to move forward and sign. Why that's so important is if you give up concessions earlier in the process, they don't really feel like concessions. If you're delivering pricing and delivering the discount 45 seconds after you show the pricing sheet, that's that new price moving forward, whatever you discounted. And it's going to take a lot of credibility away. Ultimately, it'll give you the most wiggle room at the end if you're holding on to that integrity. And then you're able to meet them where they need to be met. Because there's a lot of options outside of just reducing the price. Maybe it's working with them on cash flow or reducing it from a three-year term to a two-year term or negotiating a case study in there as well. So like anything else, it's really important to run discovery when they're at that point and ready to sign to figure out what's most important to them and then meet them with where they're at. And hopefully you're at a point where you still have all, all the levers you can pull. Boom. Beautiful. Brian, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. 
Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top four actionable takeaways from this episode are number one, use a what I heard slide to show you listened and as a reason to ask further questions in your second, third or fourth call. Number two, at the end of your meetings, you should ask your prospect to rate how they feel about what you showed them on a scale of one to 10. That gets you way more detailed information than, oh, how'd you feel? You want that quantitative feedback, not necessarily the qualitative. From there, that brings us to takeaway number three, which is if they give you a 10 out of 10, cool, you should be talking about how you can move this thing forward. If it's a seven, six or lower, you should be asking, hey, thanks for sharing that. What would have made this a 10? And bringing us home with number four, every day, look at your full list of opportunities and ask yourself, what could I do today to better my chances with this opportunity? So things like sharing a case study, doing a light touch on LinkedIn, sharing a mini demo video, all things that are no asks for your prospect. Beautiful. Jen, this is normally the part of the show where Armand will ask me how people can help us out, but I'm just going to ask myself that question. Nick, how can people help us out? And I'm going to tell you all, if you didn't realize, Jen is not Armand, and you're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more from her on 30 Minutes to President's Club. And... Jen is frankly one of the best salespeople that I've ever met. If you've not listened to her, her episode where Armand and I interviewed her, she has some really, really great takes on facilitating discussion and disagreement and problem conversations with your prospects. And Jen, I've learned so much from you over the years. Would you mind sharing with the audience just a little bit about yourself so they can know who they're going to be getting sales advice from? Sure. Let me just shrink my head back down to a normal size after you hype me up so much. So I spent about 18 years as an individual contributor in sales, everything from account management to upsell, cross-sell to true new logo hunting to big transformative deal selling. I am not someone who considers myself an expert in all things sales. I've just learned a lot over the course of doing it for so dang long. So I spent most of my career at Challenger. If anybody knows the Challenger sale and Challenger customer book, spent some time at Lavender. And now I'm off of my own with my business, Demand Gen. So the feelings are mutual, Nick. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to join you. And thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. 
Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.